Hello and welcome to the Fossil Huntress podcast. Today we're going to talk about the Burgess Shale, a little bit about building British Columbia and the Cambrian Explosion. British Columbia is truly a place apart from the rest of the world and even the rest of the country. We have beautiful mountains. We've got the Pacific Ocean with the sun twinkling across it and sometimes we have gorgeous storms. Huge salmon runs and seals and whales and porpoise. We've got bears and eagles. It's just, it is a, it's a place apart and it's truly a, an outdoor uh, playground for those that like to explore and hike and fish and sail and ski and golf. It is, it's a paradise. But it is also a crazy quilt in terms of its geology. And it's one of the most interesting puzzles that we've had the, the last century or more to really pick through and pull together. We've learned much about BC in the last hundred years. And while there's still question marks on the geologic map, other things have been answered in a, in a broader way. So we've got beautiful fossil exposures around the province for different time periods. And they tell the tale of how this province was built. And one of the most precious of these and special of these is the Burgess Shale. And you probably know the Burgess Shale if you're listening to this podcast. It's an ancient undersea archive that today is hundreds of kilometers from the ocean and about 2,300 meters above sea level. And if you'd like to go there, um, you can Google the Yoho National Park in the Canadian Rockies. And they provide access. It's a rigorous... Um, alpine trail to reach the fossil exposures originally found by Charles Walcott. But when you get there, you have the opportunity to look at 513 million year old, um, a window in time to what would have been one of the most important sites during the Cambrian explosion. The Cambrian explosion was an orgy of evolution. So about 542 million years ago, all of the major body plans of animals, including vertebrates, so animals with backbones, all evolved out of that amazing radiation of life, which was really quite short. So in about five, in the span of about five million years, we see all the major body plans of the ancestors of the lineage we see today expanding out and evolving. For the longest time, the Burgess Shale held sort of pride of place as a window into the eruption of life we see in the Cambrian. We see wonderful examples of creatures that we couldn't even figure out which way was up. So Anomalocaris, Tozoia, interesting arthropods, Hallucigenia, all erupt on the scene at this time. It's also the rise of the trilobites, which may be the world's favorite fossil. So they emerged in the Cambrian and then long outlasted it. And over the last several years, we've discovered Cambrian outposts and exposures, outcrops in um, Australia, Southern Australia, Namibia, some beautiful sites in China, in Kunming, in the Balang Formation. So we're starting to see a better picture of what was going on half a billion years ago. The first glimpse into the Cambrian window that gave us a look at the soft-bodied creatures happened quite by accident. 
Charles Walcott, who was the head of the Smithsonian Institute, was finishing up his third field season with his family and crew, and they were in the Rockies studying trilobites and mapping Cambrian formations from Banff to Mount Robson. They were traveling by horseback along a valley ridge above Emerald Lake and near Mount Wapta when a great big slab of shale blocked their path. And so his boys jumped down to move the slab so they could carry on their way. And that particular piece contained the soft bodied and perfectly preserved Morella splendens. So one of the um, interesting and wonderful creatures from the Burgess Shale. In that moment, he understood that there were creatures that we'd never seen before. Trilobites um, are hard and they've got a nice exoskeleton and we find them in many places in the world um, through time, but we rarely find things like soft and squishy octopus and creatures that need a special moment where they're um, embedded uh, in a fine-grained sand or earth, or uh, in this case, it would become shale, so that we get that fine preservation. You see places like Solenhofen and other Lagerstaden where there's um, that beautiful preservation. And Charles had, had stumbled across something quite amazing. Charles was delighted and smitten that day. He was literally bit by the Walcott bug and he would return every year, every field season to a quarry that now bears his name. And that same afternoon, he unearthed dozens of new and exciting soft-bodied creatures never seen by anyone in the world before. And it shed a lens on a time when we had a really, uh, we had a very strong arthropod understanding of the Cambrian. Walcott got the timing a little bit off, so that day he looked and he found a bunch of soft-bodied creatures, but he also found some trilobites that he recognized that were Middle Cambrian. And so he'd guessed or estimated that the site was around 535 million years old. But we just need to shuffle that date up about 20 million years. We now know the Burgess is about 513 million years old. And that discovery up on that mountain that day changed Charles' life forever. He returned season after season until two years before his death and unearthed 65,000 specimens that he sent down to the Smithsonian. So the, a, a large volume of species, mostly new, that shed a light and lens and could be studied for years after his death. So he died in 1927 and since that time, others have taken up the charge. Along with unearthing a huge body of work, 65,000 specimens sent back to the Smithsonian, Charles also took excellent field notes and made descriptions of animals. Not all accurate from the get-go, because sometimes when you're putting a puzzle together and that puzzle is all foreign to you, you get things wrong, but he got a lot of it right. And that, that work got parked for a little bit. People were interested and excited and the fossils were put on display, but very little publishing was happening with that Cambrian piece for a while until about 1966. And that year, Harry Whittington, he was a professor, professor of geology um, at Cambridge in England, he returned to Walcott's Quarry with the help of the GSC of Canada 
and they took out another 10,000 specimens. So these were shipped back to the UK and there, along with two of his students at the time, who you'll, you'll know as uh, um, the paleontologists, Derek Briggs and Simon Conway Morris, who now have a huge reputation in publications, but at the time they were his students, and they reinvigorated the interest in the Cambrian explosion. And since that time, we've now had the benefit of comparing the Burgess fauna with sites in Kunming and Belang and various places around the world to really tease out a further understanding and understand the evolution and lineages of um, sort of who's who in the zoo back a half a billion years ago. So the three paleontologists from the UK uh, delicately and carefully went through all of Walcott's work in his field notes and they were also armed with another 50 years of additional scientific knowledge. And when they took a look at Walcott's papers, even though he'd done his very best, um, the creatures didn't fit exactly and as neatly into the established biological categories or phyla that Walcott believed they did. So where to put Opabina? So just for example, it's got five stalked eyes and its long claw-tipped frontal appendage or hallucinogenia. Um, Conway Morris believed might have walked on pointed stilt-like legs or picaea, which was <laughs> Walcott had classified as a worm, but maybe it could have been a um, flexible rod or a nascent backbone. So, and also anomalocaris, which has found so many bits and pieces, but it defied classification for almost a century. So slowly, thanks to an almost unbelievable degree of preservation and the perseverance of these three scientists from and others from a range of disciplines, the ancient creatures gave up their secrets and we were able to map out the Cambrian explosion to really understand who's who in the zoo. So who was living from with whom and how were they living and making a living in that undersea world so many years ago. We know more now about the creatures of the Burgess Shale and how they made a living. So Opabinia was seen to be blessed with both swim fins and legs. Was this an early forerunner of amphibian life and they would one day crawl out of the seas to populate the earth or was it just a very early multitasker? And thanks to some better preserved species and specimens from China, we now know that hallucinogenia walked on clawed legs and that those pointed spines that were splayed along its back were armor. Picacchia, it seemed, was not a worm at all, but perhaps one of our most distant ancestors with a cord-like spine that might one day evolve into a backbone. So we begin to see and understand the beginnings of vertebrate life and have a better understanding of what was going on back in the Cambrian. One of the last holdouts in our understanding was Anomalocaris, one of my favorite specimens. And it took a long, long time to see the forest for the trees with this guy. So picture more than a meter long predator. Um, so it had two big feeding arms and another that appeared to be a circular jellyfish but later turned out to be the animal's large round mouth. This was a killing machine back in the Cambrian so it would have been um, 
one of the sea's great predators. And it kind of looked like a headless shrimp and looked rather harmless, but it would have been mobile and easy to move around and it had this great big mouth for sucking up its softer bodied brethren in the sea. So once we put all the pieces together, we finally could catch a glimpse and make dioramas of what was going on in the Cambrian. And it was a very exciting time. So we'll speak more about it later and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.